0: ah <laughs> uh, well thank you guys for coming out tonight um i'll open this up in prayer and then if you guys don't mind if, at the end i'd like to have a a pretty nice prayer time we have some pretty big things to be praying about as a church um as a country really there's there's a lot going on out there and some really dear, dear folks that really need our prayers right now. So, Dear Lord, our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this time that we can come together. Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon this time, upon the reading of your word, Lord. Lord, please help me to uh, deliver this message, Lord. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for every precious gift that you give us. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Okay, well... My message is uh, on traps and snares, and uh, it's kind of an unorthodoxical type of a way I had to come up with this. I was asked to preach a message at the Oregon State Trappers Association. Uh, Some dear, dear, dear folks, uh, Gene and Barbara Brady, I don't know if anybody knows them, They're, they're just dear folks, known them a long time, they asked if I would do it, and and uh, I told him, you bet you I'll do it. And uh, so I had to do a lot of praying and a lot of searching. I like, Lord, uh, I don't know anything about trapping. I mean, mouse traps, that's about the, that's about the extent of my experience with trapping. Um, I've watched a few programs. Uh, there's a neat one out there called Mountain Men. I kind of have this fantasy, I guess, of, of subsistence living you know, out there in Alaska and trapping and, and living off the land and I don't know. Even as a boy I watched I don't know if anybody's watched that show Grizzly Adams. <laughs> that was kind of my show to watch. I mean the best friend is a grizzly bear that weighs eleven hundred pounds, you know. That was that was something I was really into, but but the more I I've looked at that the, I realize I wouldn't even last a week out there doing what those guys do. Um, it's it's uh it's pretty surreal. But the song Amazing Grace, through many toils and snares, and that, that rang a bell with me. And, uh, and these guys, they know everything there is to know about trapping. It, it was really interesting. I went down and spent a little bit of time seeing what they were doing. And uh, these guys would do demonstrations, uh, how to set a you know, coyote trap or, or uh, a different set for maybe a, uh, a martin or something like that. It was very, very interesting and meticulous, the care that they took to do all this. And so I knew that the enemy of our souls, the master trapper, takes the same meticulous care to lay out things to distract us, to trap us, many toils and snares, um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with a leg-hold trap they use them for coyotes and all kinds of different ones. Just grab your leg and just you can't get away from it. And uh, I, I see the old master trapper doing that. You know, It's said in the Bible, he's like a hungry lion waiting to devour us, right? So, I thought about that and I thought, well, what, is, what does the Bible have to say about this? Um, we know that the devil lays in wait. We know that, that, in my opinion, he would be the master trapper of our souls. So what are some examples that I could could look at through, through the Bible that speaks about this? Obviously a topical message. So one of the first examples I thought of really was idolatry. Um, idolatry... It's not a term we use a lot anymore in the 21st century, unless you watch American Idol or something like that. But idolatry throughout the Bible—I mean, we we see it there. We 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 know the uh, that it's uh, worship of graven images. It's not worship of the true the true God. For um, Greek mythology comes from all kinds of gods uh, like Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and Apollo, the goddess of music. This all came out of this pagan. Uh, worship of idols and uh, gods other than the true God, and there's all kinds of examples to speak about in the Bible. And uh, Psalms 106, 20 through 22 says, "They exchange their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had one, who had done great things in Egypt." Miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. And Psalms one hundred and six thirty six says, They worship their idols, which became a snare to them. And I and I think about it, you know, I, I sometimes would like to see the expression on God's face. Here the Israelites are. Moses is up here getting the Ten Commandments, and they're down here crafting and sculpting this golden calf to worship it. They had been taken out of captivity. They, they, I mean, can you imagine seeing the Red Sea parted in front of you and, and being able to walk without even getting your feet wet? And here we are, next chapter. <laughs> We're down there. Moses is up here. They're down here. I just, I, I, sometimes wonder, you know, if he's just shaking his head like a parent going, Silly kids. <laughs> they sure had a lot to learn. But uh, yeah, we read a lot about that, don't we? So, I thought, well, what does this this look like? Kind of a definition that I came up with um, is that idolatry would include anything that distracts or demands more of our attention than we would spend with God. It's a thing. It could be a thing. It could be an activity. Is that thing or that activity more important? Do I put that above what I do for the Lord or what the Lord wants me to do for Him? Do I do this activity or do I make that thing a priority more than what God has for me? And how much time do I spend doing that activity or maybe working on that particular thing? Whatever that is, it, it can be a lot of things. As Psalms 106 says, what have I exchanged God for? Um, and when I read that, you know, I, I did a lot of thinking. You know, the devil loves to make me watch TV. <laughs> yeah, I can blame him for that, but, but it's it's my thing. Um, we can always spend too much time watching TV, or too much time, whatever it is in your life. Maybe you like to play golf. Um, maybe that's where you're at Sunday morning instead of at church. That would be a, a replacement. That would be something you would exchange God for. Um you guys all know that I'm in the motorcycle ministry, and so the example that I used um, was the motorcycle. Um, B.C. days, only thing I ever wanted in a motorcycle was a Harley-Davidson. Why would I want a Harley-Davidson? Harley-Davidson is an iconic motorcycle. If, if you like motorcycles, with the exception of a few of those Polaris guys, Um, (laughs) you like Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Um, They're beautiful. They're powerful. They command attention everywhere you go. And so does the rider. And it really makes you feel like a teenager again. And uh, if you let all that that, uh, power and that attention go to your head, you lose sight of what the gift was. With my particular situation, I know God gave me that motorcycle. I didn't get it in my B.C. days. <laughs> it was after I came to Christ and had a deep appreciation for the things He was doing in my life. I could, I could see these things unfolding. Um, so I had first a knowledge that, that it was a gift. Um, a lot of being in the bike ministry, you know, I see, I see people, and this, this bike is their life. They need that headlight upgrade more than their daughter needs a pair of shoes. It, it's sad, but it really does happen. And for me, I know that God gave me that bike to use as a tool. And one of the things I did, Greg helped me do it, is as I said, people see these things. They, 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 they look at them. And so on the back of my bike, it says, provided by God's amazing grace. I know that. I know that he provided that bike, and it's his grace alone that did it. So when they walk by my bike, they have to know that I know that's why that bike's there. And on the front of my bike, because it's out front, it says, Jesus first. Because I've got to put him before the bike and all other things. And remember that the bike is, is still just a tool. We were talking this morning with Cup. We have been able to do very little off the bikes this summer for all kinds of weird reasons. But the things he's blessed us with otherwise have been amazing. The, minist- the ministry opportunities didn't stop because we weren't going to, you know, the Hell's Canyon rally or, or some of these rallies we've been able to make it to for several years. You know, he, it didn't stop. He still continued to bless us with ministry and use us. Um, uh, Sometimes it was uh, mechanical breakdowns. Um, Roy and I both got to experience a few of those this year. But uh, it didn't keep us from doing God's work. So that's kind of one of those deals where I look at it, the fact that I'm an ego-driven male. It's a fact. All males are ego-driven. And I constantly have to keep myself in check. This pastor says, you know, you, you constantly want to want to go to the Lord and keep short accounts. Well, it's the same thing here. You want, you want to keep yourself humble. Psalms 139, 23-24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me in ways everlasting. We have to to go to God on a regular basis and know... one, one, One of Brad's prayers I love that he prays every time he preaches is don't let this be my ego. You know, sometimes when you're out there and, as I said, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of prestige in some of this, And I have to know that it's it's not me that wants to go do some of these things. It's really easy to want to go do some of these things. It's fun. But constantly asking Him to search my heart, because He knows our heart. And I want to know that I'm doing it for the right reason. So I, as a personal note, have to continually go back, because... It doesn't take very long if if you don't make that part part of your spiritual walk the sin nature's right there knocking at the back door master trapper just laid the next pitfall in front of you and we got to start over again thank god for second chances but you know I don't like to abuse his grace I really do want to try to do this right it's it's in my spirit to want to do this the right way, his way, not my way. Um, get in kind of a, a sanctification talk, but I won't go there. But but it is. It's a process to continually go through. And it's not an excuse that he gives us second chances and his grace provides for all of our sins. But But you want to do it because of his grace and his glory and want to not have to take as many second chances all the time. At least that's, that's the way I see it. So, the second trap, is, he's pretty crafty. He uses our tongue to trap us. The tongue, we've heard a lot about taming the tongue. It's been said that it's like a rudder on a ship. A ship is huge. And this rudder is really small in proportion to the the enormity of of this ship. But it'll turn the whole ship. And the tongue, in proportion to our bodies, really is a pretty small part of our body, but it will boast of great things. It's been said that it's a double-edged sword, cutting people down with slander and gossip or building them up with praise. Proverbs 18.7 says, The mouth of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Proverbs 6.2 says, You have been trapped by what you have said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. And there was a young man, he was working down here at the, the local grocery store, working in the produce department, and this, this lady came up and, and asked him if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. And he replied to her that uh, God makes these in whole heads and that's how we sell them. So the lady insisted that uh, I've been shopping here for years. Would you please sell me a half a head of lettuce? So he said, okay, I'm going to go talk to the manager. So he goes up front, marches up to the manager, and says, you are not going to believe this. This lame brain idiot lady back here wants to buy half a head of lettuce. And the manager's doing this. And he realizes in a minute that she had followed him up there. And he turns around. He doesn't miss a beat. He turns around, and this nice young lady right here would like to buy the other half. (laughs) Now this guy, he was thinking on his feet. He was thinking on his feet. But he wouldn't have had to do that. He wouldn't have had to use that fancy footwork if he hadn't have been using some of those unkind words with this nice lady. <laughs> I know it was an inconvenience for him, but just like the, like it says, our words are a trap. They can become a snare, and uh, she could have been really offended by that. And uh, it's one of those uh, those things that, that rings back from your childhood. At least it does. As for mine. Mama says, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. So it definitely rings true with, uh, with the tongue. It can definitely be a trap. It's said that uh, a sharp tongue is the only edged tool that grows sharper with constant use. Most edged edges are dulled and we have to constantly sharpen them, but not the tongue. It can become, become extremely sharp. So we'll, this, is, this, this goes back to asking God to search our heart. <laughs> uh, search our heart, Lord, and let us not use our tongue to, uh, to slander or gossip, but let us use our tongue to praise, build up, elevate, exhort, extol. All kinds of wonderful words we can use to build up each other instead of cut each other down. Another trap, and this is a good one, he uses it with me a lot, is fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of men will prove to be a snare. But whoever turns in in the Lord, whoever trusts in the Lord, excuse me, is kept safe. Martin Luther, he made a, an observation. He said God and the devil take opposite tactics in regard to fear. The Lord first allows us to become afraid, that he might relieve our fears and comfort us. The devil, on the other hand, makes us feel secure in our pride and in our sin, that we might later be overwhelmed with fear and despair. That guy on you, you, take some care and, and try to trip us up. Fear is defined as an emotion induced by a threat perceived by a living entity. Living entity. E- we know even animals have fear. We can see that in their actions because it causes a change in brain or organ function and ultimately a change in behavior, such as running away, hiding, freezing. They call it the fight or flight response. And most of us have one type of fear or another, and they're sometimes very very hard to overcome. Um, Some of the fears that I found listed, um, fear of failure, I've been there. Fear of dying. That one I was kind of, that might be a perspective thing. In my B.C. days, I might have thought that would be something to be afraid of. I'm not saying I want to die tonight or tomorrow. But I think the longer I've walked with the Lord in this, I don't think I fear it in the way this describes as fear. I don't fear the thought of going to see Jesus. But that's perspective, again. We have the eternal perspective. So we don't have to worry in that sense as much. Um, I guess my fear would be be for all those that I leave behind. But then again, we'll all be together again one day. So that's kind of that's one of those trickier ones. Fear of letting others down. Um, been there, that's for sure. Um, some have a fear of living alone. Those are a few. Um, another personal one, I'm afraid of heights. I don't even like an extension ladder. I will do it if I have to for my job, go up an extension ladder. I, however, am not very excited about it. I'm not very happy about it. And honestly, I'm downright afraid about it. It's not so much going up the ladder. It's getting to the bottom of the ladder when we're done. So, as you might imagine, I don't fly a whole lot. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I've ever even been in a commercial jetliner. I, I, I did try to conquer my fear one year up here at the airport to have that flying thing. And we had a friend, and he had an airplane. It, uh, it was a little white knuckle for a while, but I did it. And I actually think after I got up there, I liked it better than climbing a ladder. <laughs> but it's still a fear we have to overcome. It's not anything new. Um, one phrase that appears throughout the Bible is, do not be afraid. Uh, Psalm 1.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold in my life. Whom Shall I Be Afraid? And when I, when, I, when I hear those, Whom Shall I Fear, all these songs start going through my head, being on the worship team. And uh, the God of Angel Armies, it just goes cruising through there. It, it's easier said than done sometimes. I know that. Um, you know, the Lord, He's definitely there. Um, he, has, he has resurrection power. You know, sometimes we just get overwhelmed. And... uh The master trapper, he'll sit there and whisper all these things to you. And if you take the time to listen, you get caught up in it, and you you start looking down instead of up. And it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, Eventually, we'll fall far enough that he'll remind us where to look. And uh, we just need to, to trust in the Lord and his power to overcome our fears. But the last trap that I want to talk about tonight accompanies fear. It's worry. They go hand in hand. You worry about something and then you're afraid. You're afraid about something and then you worry about it. Here were some interesting statistics I found. An average person's worry is focused on 40% of things that will never happen. 30% about things in the past that can't be changed. 12% about criticisms by others that are mostly untrue. 10% about health, which 10% about health doesn't help because then it just adds to your health. We know, we, we know that worry causes stress, uh, sleeplessness, ulcers, all kinds of health concerns, but only 10% and 8% of the time worrying about problems that we will actually face. It's crazy. Seventy percent of, the, of that, the time we've been worrying, by my calculations, are things that are never going to happen or things that have already happened that we can't do anything about anyway. <laughs> so I think in moments like that, I think, how, how could we flip that around and spend 70% of that time putting that back into our relationship with God what, what would it look like if we somehow get that harness, that 70% of time we waste worrying about things that are never going to happen or things that have happened and we can't do anything about anyway what would that look like in our relationship with God, in our spiritual walk how, how much growth could we experience in that um, It's uh, it's kind of mind-boggling to me to think, I mean we look at everything we do during the course of the day and if somehow we could tap into that and not worry about that 70% and use that energy to, do, to work on a relationship with God, what that would look like, it would be awesome. So we know we need to let the Lord relieve our fears and our worries when we're afraid that uh, we're afraid the bills won't get paid. I don't know once in a while that happens with me. There's some tough months that happen around Grant County in the winter. Um, when our children or our spouses are sick and when they're hurting, um, I don't know about you, but when I've got a kid in the hospital, hard not to worry. But again, the longer I'm doing this, the more I'm looking at the internal perspective, the more he's working on me, to not be worried as much as asking for his intervention in uh, all of it, whether whether it just be sickness or whether in the hospital because they were dumb and got in a bike wreck and it was their own fault and it should have never happened, but it did. <laughs> but it doesn't help the worry factor sometimes. But the longer longer we spend in in uh, in the Word and looking at His promises, the more reassurance we can have. Matthew. 6.34, this is, this is a great one. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. In Jeremiah 29.11-14, through 14, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. And I was talking to the Israelites there, we know that. But captivity, what is that? For them, it was physical captivity. We get stuck in spiritual captivity. Um, we, we fall prey to all these traps and snares. And we just need to, to, to study the Word and listen to these, these promises right there, 29, 11 through 14. I w- you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We just need to, to learn to focus. And we don't have to worry so much about the snares and the pitfalls um, and the fear and the worries because God's he's always there to give us the comfort and the peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, I I, I grab onto great scriptures like that. I know it's hard sometimes where, when we're in the trenches, the loved ones in the hospital, you know. But we need to grab onto these promises, and we need to stand on them. This be a great time for standing on the promises. That's all right. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I, I hope we I hope I hope you gleaned a little something from from avoiding the traps and the pitfalls of the master trapper, as I call him. He's a, he's a sly, tricky devil. He really is, but uh, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. So, so that is my message for this evening. However, we still have some business to take care of. Cause we are, we are prayer warriors. We are a praying church.